welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. Well, I can't wait to introduce you today to Nathaniel Garcia. He is my brother-in-law, Chelsea's older brother, and he works as a paramedic in Southern California. He's also a faithful listener of the show, and I know he appreciates the blessing that he's received from other guests sharing how God was with him through dark times. And I know that his story will be a blessing to those of you who are listening as well. I got a blessing out of just talking to him and uh, recording this. And so I can't wait to share my interview with Nathaniel Garcia. Nate, welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope. How you doing, Pastor Joel? I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. I know we've been talking about it for actually, I don't know, probably six months at least, maybe even a year. And uh, funny story, I actually took my mic out there because we spent Christmas together and we just never never got an opportunity to sit down. So we're doing it via Skype uh, much later. But That's <laughs> anyway. right. It's the next best thing. So, <laughs> uh, but Good to have you on. So, Thank you. Let's begin with uh, kind of the beginning. Where are you from? Um, who are you? What do you do? Um, I know that your background probably is very similar, at least in the beginning, to Chelsea's. I know some of our listeners are familiar with that, but go ahead and um, and share a little bit about uh, your family and your background. Uh, well, indeed. So I am the oldest of three. Um, Chelsea uh, is my youngest sister. And so we grew up in the San Bernardino National Forest. Um, we, at the time, we grew up and were living at Camp Cedar Falls. And my dad was kind of a jack of all trades there. He was a ranger, maintenance guy, kind of handled any of the upkeep of the camp there. So a lot of our childhood was growing up in the mountains and uh, running around and hiking. And a um, uh, funny story when, uh, that I always like to share, and it was one of the first – well. <laughs> something I'd shared with my wife after we got married and was that I have kissed a bear. And oh. it's kind of one of my unique uh, about me tidbits that not many people know. And uh, to which she had said, well, I wish I knew that before, you know, our wedding day. <laughs> but um, uh, Do tell. <laughs> so How did this there happen? Was, well, there was a pet bear that we that lived at the camp. His name was Taboo. And um, he was actually a bear that was given to us for care and keep, I believe, from one of the area zoos. It might have been the Los Angeles Zoo. I can't remember off the top of my head, mm -hmm. but one of the zoos had uh, given us the bear to keep. And um, so, of course, with my dad's position, it was kind of his main responsibility to feed and care for Taboo. And periodically, we need to go into his den and hit the cage that he was kept in. And I mean, it was a pretty big size cage, um, but we need to clean it out and put fresh hay and some toys and, and whatnot. So, but one of the tricks that I had started to do with Taboo was I would get him to give me a kiss. And I would do it in front of all of the, you know, every weekend we'd have a church group that came up. And so we'd have everyone there. And um, I, so I would go down there and I'd talk about the bear. And I mean, mind you, this is me at, you know, 10 years old thinking that I run the place. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I would talk to them about, you know, the characteristics of black bears and their habitat and what they're like. And then at the end, um, I would put a peanut in between my lips. Oh. 
and I would get myself right up against the fence and I put and I pucker my lips like I was going to kiss him and the peanut would be right in between and so he would come and meet me and he would pucker his lips up too and he'd grab the peanut out of my mouth and that was that so that was my bear kiss so that is hilarious (laughs) So. Uh, so was Lindsay jealous then when she found out uh, she was definitely surprised that she was not the first kiss or that it was not my first official kiss given. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mercy. That's hilarious. So what do but, you do? Uh, what do you do now? Um, well, I am a paramedic and uh-huh. my paramedic journey started pretty much at Cedar Falls. Um, I got involved. Well, I was in Pathfinders at the time. I, um, was I loved being in the outdoors, but I had a very strong uh, pull towards first aid and rescuer, and so I did all of those honors up to the maximum that you could do. Mm. You know, the uh, uh, first aid advance and rescuer advance and rescuer one and two. And, and, and for um, those who may not be familiar, Pathfinders is similar to like Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts kind of idea, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's very similar to Boy, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, but it's co-ed. So okay. both boys and girls are all, and it's always uh, um, Christian-based. So the emphasis is about God, but learning life skills for the betterment of the kingdom. Okay. And um, so there was this one time where uh, we were on a bike ride, and Amanda, which is the middle sister of the three of us, mm-hmm. was behind me. And she crashed her bike, and I had a really good friend of mine that was riding with us, and he couldn't avoid her and ended up crashing into her, and she got a really big cut on the back of her head. Um, Mind you, we're about two miles from home on these trails in the backwoods, and we needed to get my sister home, Mm -hmm. and she was feeling dizzy and not feeling well. Blood was just pouring down the back of her Mm -hmm. head. And so I took my shirt off and my socks off, and I made a makeshift little bandage and put it around her head. And then we put our bikes together in such a way that she could lay on the middle. We put some pieces of wood in our T-shirt and carried her out. Oh, wow. So it was kind of in that moment that I was like, man, I really love this stuff. So (laughs) jumping forward to high school, I was a lifeguard and, of course, continued on my first day. But now I was officially certified through American Red Cross. Um, Jump into jump forward to college. Um, I went to PUC and I really, I don't know, I think in some ways that was really the biggest stepping stone into the first responder world uh, because I'd been involved in kind of medical care in some form or another between lifeguard and first aid. And um, I came across an advertisement about that the fire department was looking for volunteers. And so I said, oh, well, sign me up. Mm -hmm. So I put my application in. I got accepted. I started the fire academy. I simultaneously put myself through EMT school and was like, man, I love this. And the rest is history. So 12 years now working in the emergency medical services field. um, And then the last five years has been spent working as a paramedic in San Bernardino County. Wow. So I can imagine you... um you interface a lot with the best of the worst in society dealing with that. It's... Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it, you know, it's funny cause I remember that in both EMT and paramedic school, our program directors and our instructors would say, you guys are just nuts. You're <laughs> something is seriously wrong with you because you are not only voluntarily signing up for a program, but that you're paying me to teach you, how to be involved and be exposed in part to the worst that the world has to offer mm-hmm. every day you work. Mm-hmm. And 
especially in, in, in when I was going to paramedic school, it just kind of really struck me. It's like, you know, without you guys, we'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but understanding that, you know, yeah, it's, 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 there are good days and bad days. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. even the good days are always going to have something bad that happened in it. But, you know, you just try and focus on the good that you did. And I, I quickly realized, especially when I came out here to San Bernardino County, that, you know, my, I come to work, I mean, I enjoy my job and I love it, but I come to work every day, not because of the pay or the recognition, but I come to work because I, my job is to be here for that one person. Even if it's only one person that truly needed a paramedic that day, Mm -hmm. my job is to be there for that one person Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that when they need me, I'm there to help. I know you've shared several stories. Is there one that you'd like to share on the on the podcast of someone that really needed to to meet you or to have care and, and compassion shown to them? Um, well, it's actually funny because uh, when we were kind of talking and you sent me kind of uh, some uh, sample questions, kind of to get my mind going, I was thinking, I was like, man, what could I share? I mean, you know, obviously not everyone's going to appreciate the. Um, the severity of the job (laughs) (laughs) and the crazy of the job isn't always as fun, but Mm -hmm. you know, there was one thing that really came to mind and actually, um, it was the last day, actually, no, this past week, it was on Monday when I worked and, uh, we get this 911 call and it's in downtown San Bernardino by the mall. And, um, we get on scene and on our way there. So I'm, because I'm the paramedic, I always sit in the passenger seat because I'm always in the back with a patient. Mm. Usually my partner is an EMT. Um, not every County and state work the same way. Sometimes it's, uh, two paramedics on the ambulance. Sometimes it's two EMTs. Mm -hmm. So our County is one EMT and one paramedic. Anyway, so my partner is driving and I always make it a habit to read the dispatch notes because there's kind of additional information in there. It lets us know where to find the patient, things we need to be concerned about. And, um, so I'm going through and as I'm reading the notes, it says patient says she's cold and hungry. And so already we're kind of grumbling. We're like, well, that's mm-hmm. not a medical emergency. Like, man, this is, come on. You, mm-hmm. you can't be calling 911 for that. And so, but something that I, again, I've learned a lot <laughs> in these past five years. But being a paramedic, you have to wear a lot of different hats. And it's not strictly just emergency medicine. And mm-hmm. part of the job and sometimes the hard part is recognizing when to take off your medical hat as a paramedic and put on your big brother hat or put on the counselor hat or the psychologist hat or put on the social worker hat or because, I mean, we're essentially, along with all first responders, we're the front line that people see. Mm-hmm. So we get on scene and, and there's this, uh, this woman there and she's um, you know, uh, probably in her early 60s and she's homeless. <clears throat> and we get out, and so I kind of start talking to her, and she's telling me, well, I, I just want to go to the hospital because I'm, I'm, I'm cold and I'm hungry, and I just I, I just, I just want to go there for a couple days, and, and that'll be okay. And so I told her, I was like, ma'am, you know, you can't, this is, this is, this is not what 911 is for. <laughs> um, you can't, you know, be doing this. And, and so I kind of was just talking to her. She goes, and she paused, and then she broke down, and she goes, I know. I know that's not what it's for. I'm just so sorry. I didn't know what to do. And this was just all I could think of. Hmm. And it was kind of a moment. I was like, you know what? 
she needs help, not in the conventional sense, but she needs help. So I took the time with her on scene and we're probably there a little longer than what would be expected. But, um, I told her like, well, you know, have you tried a homeless shelter? And she goes, Oh, I don't know where that is. And so I pull out my phone and I start Googling homeless shelters and I start giving her addresses and letting her know where they are and what's going on. And, um, so then she, uh, um, then she smiles and she's like, Oh, thank you so very much for that. And I, and she, because I knew, I remember that she said that she was hungry. I went into my lunch and I gave her what I brought for lunch that day. Mm. So it was just kind of, and we gave her a warm blanket and a water bottle cause it was a little chilly that day, but it was just, again, something that's kind of out of the ordinary and mm-hmm. you kind of expect, Oh, well, every time I'm going, it's going to be someone who's on the brink of death that you're doing something to bring them back for them. And in this particular sense, it was just a moment where, it was just she needed a glimpse of humanity and mm-hmm. compassion and someone to say, you know what, I will help you, and I'm going to give you direction on where to go. And so, and, and she was so very grateful. She walked away. And she was smiling ear to ear. She's like, thank you guys so very much. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I hope that she's doing much better. And I think that's the hard part about the job is that you don't always know the outcome of everyone you treat. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, but yeah, that was. I don't know. It's just, it's definitely sometimes a feel good moment and those mm-hmm. don't come very often. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and I can also imagine being, you know, in that situation, you always, and every time you get a call, you have to be the strong one that, that shows up, that's willing to help and be in control of the situation, know what to do. And exactly. sometimes I can imagine that there isn't really anything you can do. And, then you have to go from that situation, maybe into another call or go back to your family when you get off shift. What, tell me a little bit about the, the psychological, just the, the challenges that, that your job entails. Uh, it is definitely not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Um, (laughs) my, you know, it's funny. It's, I've, I've always had a soft spot for psychology, and I had considered that as a major when I was in college. And one of my really good friends in college, he kind of, we were talking one day, and he goes, You know, I don't think this is a good idea for you because you care a little too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm afraid that as a psychologist, <laughs> you're going to start hearing everyone's problems, and pretty soon you're going to make them your own, and then right. you're going to be in a bad spot. And, you know, and it made sense. And I kind of do have that tendency to kind of take on others' burdens and kind of help them carry it and kind of almost make it my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's funny just this last week in a single day, I had someone in a 12 hour period, I went from someone who I was doing CPR on to someone who was having a seizure that I had to stop to someone who was having foot pain for about 10 days and wanted to get it checked out to someone else who was, um, the infection they had was so severe that they were going into septic shock. Mm. And I mean, that's all just all in a 12 hour period. And so it can get very taxing and very tiring. And I think the thing is, is that taking those mental breaks, it's just everyone has their own coping mechanism. And unfortunately, I think that's the, where the issue lies is that's learning healthy ways in which to do that. Mm. And going, it, it's hard because you see all of the bad in the world and you see what, and, and you know what you've experienced at, at work, and then you come home, and you know you feel the responsibility to kind of turn that switch off, and okay, I've got to put a different face on, and now we're gonna, I have to be here for my family. Mm-hmm. And um, I had my own mental health struggle um, about two years ago, and 
it was really, really tough for me. And I got, and I definitely, you know, I was self-diagnosing and thinking, oh, I can beat this and I don't need to go and see anybody. Mm -hmm. And eventually I reached a point where it was just kind of admitting to myself, I'm not a failure and I'm not any less or weak of a man or any less of a paramedic by admitting that I am struggling with mental health problems. Mm -hmm. I do need to go and see somebody because we all need help. And sometimes things are just a little bit beyond us. And once I actually finally did that, it was so relieving. And it was like a big burden came off because now I didn't have to carry everything. And there was someone else that I could talk to that I – I mean this might sound a little selfish and cruel, but I didn't really care about their feelings. I could just <laughs> kind of unload mine and be like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with and this is what's going on and and just have someone that I could be real and talk with and – Honestly, I thank God every single day for my wife. She's a nurse, and she works in an ICU. So we both understand the emergency aspect of medicine. Mm. And we can both come home, and if we've had a really bad shift, and we're just, you know, oh, hey, how you doing, sweetheart? It was a really bad night. And we know exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. And we both understand enough about each other's jobs that we can kind of speak plainly and can just be open and talk about, oh, man, I was giving this medication and that medication. We were doing this and doing that and doing the other. And the other one understands, oh, man, that was really bad. And we can just vent and we can just talk, you know. But there definitely is that kind of moment where you just feel like, well, I, I shouldn't have to expose and share everything with my family because mm -hmm. I want them to be happy and not worried about the, you know, what's out there and what's <laughs> going on and kind of being that protector. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 hard. It, it it is hard. Yeah, I I can only imagine and not not imagine very well because because I don't really you know have any experience with that. But I know you have a um I know you have a burden for fellow first responders and you know because you know what that's like. You're in the trenches. You understand the the challenges and the stress that you have. So just in the last couple um, last 30 seconds or so, what would you say if there's a first responder who's listening to this right now and maybe knows exactly what you're talking about and can relate to where you were two years ago? What would you tell them? You are not alone. It does not make you any less of a competent and skilled paramedic, EMT, firefighter, police officer to admit that you are struggling with mental health problems um, more than anything. And I think I could probably speak for most spouses. The only thing they want from you is to come home happy and to come home in one piece and mentally there. And for the betterment of your patients, you need to be mentally there too. And unfortunately, we are slowly getting out of this um, stereotype that we can't admit to those things because the appearance of being weak and not as skilled or competent arises. But you're not the only ones. And if you don't feel comfortable yet going to see an actual um, psychologist, reach out to a coworker, reach out to a supervisor. They're there for you. And it's a very close knit community. We're all brothers and sisters in this, um, and we're he and we're here for each other and back each other up. But don't feel like you're the only one going through this. We've all been there, guaranteed. Mm. And most importantly, if you aren't praying, I believe fully in prayer, and we do have a unique gift of being Christians. And it's not any less of a person to be Christian and being a paramedic at the same time. <laughs> but um, 
definitely pray and include God in everything, but don't be afraid to take that step to get that help if you feel like you need it. That's really good advice. I want to thank you, Nate, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and for being a great brother-in-law. I think everyone should have one like you, so thank you. Well, that about wraps it up. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, let us know. The best way to do that is to give us a review and a five-star rating. Also, make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on so you don't miss future episodes of the show. You can find out more information and find links to other platforms on our website, faithandhoperadio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith and Hope Radio. Music for this episode is provided by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. Hope you have an amazing day, and until next week, have faith and hope.